Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast, brought to you by the OC Church of Christ. Let's dive deep into God's Word, learning new insight and taking a fresh look at the verses that impact our daily lives. Today is the first of our four-part study of 1 Peter. Here is Eric Ennis. Good evening, church. Glad to be with you in order to go through a Bible study guide that Martine and I developed in order to help you better analyze the Word in seeking God's will in your life. To find meaning in God's Word, we have to dig deep. And that means we have to disregard simplistic answers and search for the truth. On this journey, we must have a teachable spirit as well as time. There is no substitute for time and effort in God's Word. Any student of the Bible will confess that studying the Bible is a humbling experience. But hopefully, through this time together now and this Bible study guide that we've created, hopefully it'll help direct you and better guide you on how to help you get the most out of your individual or group Bible study, which is the point of this. So with that in mind, please be curious and observant as well as open to how God can use this to help you in your study, in your Bible study. To begin, I want to look at some Bible basics. I realize we can come from many different age groups and stages in life, However, I want to reaffirm our collective faith biblically. And that is that the Bible is written by man, but inspired by God. Inspired means God breathed. It's a word that Paul really just even created. It's the idea that that this word helps direct and inspire everything that we do. This Bible is not a haphazard collection of stories. These are actual accounts and their selection and collection were carefully orchestrated by God. From storytelling to scripture, selecting the books and sequencing the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament took place over several centuries. The Bible is also to be lived. Your Bible study should not just be some academic exercise, but a devotion to God. My greatest testimony is that God's word converted my soul and transformed my life. Through the daily discipline of studying the Bible, and applying biblical principles, I experienced the perfect will of God. Learning how to study the Bible has been one of the most thrilling experiences of my life. Savoring the many resources that explained the various ways to, to absorb God's word has intensified my love of God. There is all kinds of ways to study the Bible. But what's unique about this study guide is the acrostic that we've made and hopefully it helps simplify the process to help you get the most out of your Bible study. So with that said, here's our Bible study guide. This is meant to serve as an aid for both deep personal inquiry as well as evaluation, but could also be applied in a group setting as well. Because much of the Bible is meant to be read in a collective gathering of believers and should be. So this idea of a Bible study guide of starting with a good translation, taking notice of the genre, understanding the context and discerning the major themes and ultimately yielding to God will serve you in a variety of of Bible study settings. And I realize there's a lot of different types of Bible studies that could be used. And I believe that this Bible study guide will serve you in all of them. So for instance, whether you're doing a topical study of 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 a topic in the Bible whether you're doing a particular word study and studying out a a specific Greek or Hebrew Aramaic word and how it's used throughout the Bible, whether you're studying the Bible chronologically from beginning to end, or looking at a specific biography of an individual in the Bible, 
or doing a book study, which is what we'll be doing tonight and over the next several weeks, this Bible study guide could really service you in a variety of different mediums. So let's use it tonight and see how it applies. We'll begin with starting with a good translation. So what does that mean and what does that look like for you in your personal life? Well, I'm assuming that all of us have Bibles if we're coming to this church. And when you pick up that Bible, I'm about to tell you something that may sound, you know, may sound, some, sound like heresy to you. But I assure you is the truth. And that is the Bible that you have in your hand is not God's word. Now, before you get upset with me, please listen. What I'm saying is it's a translation of God's word. After all, Jesus didn't speak English. So it's best to understand this because when you're studying something from another language, it can often take more time to truly understand the original content and ideas that were being presented. Let me give you an example from another language to see how this applies. So for instance, here's a famous phrase in French. I don't speak French, so I tried to choose a language that I don't think many of us speak. But what this phrase means is when chickens have teeth. This is a very much a word-for-word -word translation of this phrase. But that still doesn't immensely mean anything to me. Another way of phrasing it would be using an English idiom that we may know is when pigs fly. But some people may still be confused with that. So you can change the original language to maybe say that will never happen. Or you can add more meaning or more inflection by saying something like, no way, we will never do anything like that. There are several different ways to translate phrases in another language. But also notice the further away from the language that you get, the greater the historical distance. And it relies more on translators' opinions, which is why it's important to choose Bibles that are being translated by a wide group of people that are experts in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And there are a bunch of different types of Bibles out there. So to break it into three broad categories, there are literal or more formal equivalent translations. These are your word for word translations. They help keep the form and the meaning of the original language in the words, the grammar, and the structure as close as possible to the author's original intent. It helps to minimize the historical distance and, the and minimize translators' opinions. It's really great for textual analysis. However, it can be more challenging to read, just like when chickens have teeth. A more readable or dynamic equivalent translation is a more what's called thought-for-thought -thought translation. It attempts to find the more precise equivalence for these words and the construction of these sentences. And it tries to improve the communication of ideas into something that's easier for us to read. This is really great for counseling and private meditation. And then there's more paraphrastic type translations. This is gonna make it the most readable. Um, and by putting in the context of the easiest language that can be used for the reader. This is good for, for understanding things, but probably should not be used for really establishing doctrine. So let me give you some examples of this using First Peter, which is the book we'll be studying over the next several weeks. So First Peter, verse one and two. 
This first passage will be a word-for-word translation. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. If you're doing a word-for-word translation here, this would be a great translation to use, but it is much more difficult to read. This is very different than, say, one that is more dynamic equivalent, which will be this version here, which is the NIV, something we may have oftentimes used. First Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Pythia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is much easier to read. Uh, But notice we are changing some of the context of the language a little bit, but in a way that's easier for us to understand. The last version here would be a more paraphrastic version. This is the easiest reading one. I, Peter, am an apostle on assignment by Jesus, the Messiah, writing to exile scattered to the four winds. Not one is missing, not one forgotten. God the Father has his eye on each of you and is determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May everything good from God be yours. Three very different types of translations. So which is the best translation? Well, I always believe the best translation is the one you'll actually read. I don't want to say that you should read a translation and then not pick it up. It's kind of like working out. The best workout program is the one you're going to do. Same here. But for the study of a book, which is what we'll be doing for the next several weeks, I find it best to compare more literal translations with dynamic equivalent translations, more thought to thought. Because even though it's easier to read going more toward the paraphrastic, there's a greater chance for the translator's opinions as well as more historical distance. So as you begin your Bible study, Think about the translation that you're using and why you're using it. So you always start with a good translation. The next thing we do is take notice of the genre. Think about this. Here are four different kinds of books. You have the Instant Pot Miracle Cookbook, which the Instant Pot is a miracle because it's taught me how to cook. You have a giant book of poetry. You have a philosophy textbook. And you have an Abraham Lincoln biography. Certainly none of us, when picking up the Instant Pot Miracle Cookbook, is going to quote it like we would a book of poetry. And certainly we would not read a biography in the same way we'd have to dissect a textbook. Because when you know the type of book you're reading, you're more likely to read it appropriately. No one reads a novel expecting it to be a book of poetry. And certainly you don't read a biography thinking it's gonna be fiction. So knowing the type of book is fundamental to understanding what you're reading. And this is called genre. Genre refers to the type of writing. And understanding the type of writing allows us to read the book through the proper lens. And we must understand that even though when we pick up the Bible and it's all bound as one book, it's actually many books. It's made up of 66 distinct books by 40 different authors over a 1500 year span of time using three different languages on three different continents. So when we pick up the Bible and we go from page to page, it must be understood that we're reading 
a bunch of different types of books. And each one of these genres serves a different purpose. The law is very different than poetry. And prophecy is going to be very different than writing a letter. Thus, when we look at it, the law is really meant to instruct and lay out the conditions of God's covenant with Israel. So when we're looking at the law, we're recognizing that this is God's covenant with his, with his people in Israel. While history is laying out and documenting the history of God's people, not always telling us what's right and wrong, oftentimes we can discern that. But it's best to be careful that we don't treat the history like law. Next is wisdom of poetry. This is meant to provide advice as well as help us wonder about the meaning of life. And that's very different than prophecy, which is meant to share God's message to his people, calling them back from sin to a state of grace. Then you have the gospel, which is meant to document Jesus' teachings and ministry and life. And finally, letters, which are meant to encourage, instruct, and provide practical answers to various challenges faced. And it's with this that we're going to be examining 1 Peter, because 1 Peter is a letter. And as a letter, it's always best to understand that we're reading a one-way conversation. Peter is writing a letter to a group of people. We are only reading a part of the communication. And that Peter is specifically writing to people in this specific situation that are being shamed, ridiculed, and persecuted for their faith. And he's trying to give them advice on how to stand up under it and be faithful to God using Christ as an example, which means he's writing to a particular group of people. Not to say that, that that work doesn't apply to us. It absolutely does. But we can't separate it from the historical context of what it was meant for, which is the next part of our study guide. Understanding the context. It's important when we're reading any book of the Bible that we try to understand the context of who was writing it and what was it being written for. So it's always good to look at the five W's and the how. Who's the author in the audience? What's the situation being addressed? When is the author writing it? That helps give us an issue of the immediate historical events around it. Where's the author writing from and to? Why is this author writing? What purpose? And how is God relating to his people in this passage? So let's once again read 1 Peter one and two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So I'm using a dynamic equivalent translation to help make it a little bit easier for us to read, but still keeping much of the original language. Now let's look at the context. The author is Peter, as well as help from Silas. We learned that from 1 Peter 5.12. The audience is written to believers, Jew and Gentile, Christians who are in exile living in Asia Minor. And the situation being addressed is this idea that they're being persecuted for their faith. The time period is, is between 62 and 63 AD. So this is during a time when many of the Christians were being persecuted during Roman rule. And we know that Peter is writing from Rome. That's where he is at this point. He refers to it as Babylon. And he's writing to a group in Asia Minor in Turkey. That's the Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
And he says here, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood. So this group of Christians who are being persecuted for their faith, he's trying to encourage these believers. That's why he's writing this. He's letting them know you've been chosen by God and that God is on your side. So how does God relate to his people in this passage? He wants them to be obedient to him through his spirit, which is the same call to us. And he reminds them that Christ endured suffering for them and that they should also endure to see God's glory. One of the things I do in my career is I, I'm a teacher by trade, but I also help mentor and train teachers. And whenever I do so, and I'm training teachers, I always tell them to do this before they start, to circle the neighborhood. So before they start teaching at the school site on which they're going to work, I always tell them, you've got to know where your students live. You've got to kind of know the community. You've got to understand the affluency. Where are the supermarkets they shop? What restaurants they eat in? Where do they recreate in this area? You know, how close are the freeways? Get a sense of the neighborhood to better understand the context of the students you're about to teach to. The same is true for us biblically. We need to circle the neighborhood. We need to take that passage that we read and understand the greater context. What's the immediate context? What's the wider context? What are other books written by this author? We could cross-reference it. This helps us to better understand God's word and why this person is writing this. Remember, God's word is, is written by man, but inspired by God. Just as Jesus is all man and all God, so is the Bible. So it's helped to understand the context of what's happening here. The next part of our study guide that we need to look at. And again, as we think through this, there's many ways to, to dig deeper in all of this. And obviously, as we go through and look at this next part is, please realize you can take notes, you can make a list, you can draw pictures, you can keep looking for clues, and obviously read the Bible over and over and over again. And there's also helps outside of just the Bible. There's Bible dictionaries, there's concordances, there's reference books, there's commentaries. There's a wide variety of sources that will help you understand the context, as well as the next part of our study guide, which is discerning the major themes. This is also very important. Now, how do you discern a theme? I'm going to take us back to our classroom. So for those of you who have been out of the classroom for a long time, let's imagine us back into an English classroom, you know, or a literature classroom. And for those of you who are currently in school, this should be a flashback. But how do we discern the major themes? The first thing you should do is typically read the opening and closing of the book or passage. Oftentimes, the, the writer will, will put his theme right in the beginning or the end. You can also look for repeated words or phrases or ideas throughout the passages. If you start seeing a word mentioned over and over again, you start to get an understanding that this is really important. You can also then try to sum up the passage or book in a single word. And if you can do that, you're starting to really narrow down the ideas that's important to this author and God in applying to us. So once you can boil down this, this is, this word really matters here. And if you can take that word and make a complete thought from it, that will help you discern the theme. This works obviously in literature, but it works for the Bible too. So what are the themes in first Peter? You're going to see a lot of suffering. 
That word we mentioned over and over and over again, suffering for the sake of God, as well as the glory of God and achieving that suffering to achieve that glory of God. But there's other themes in here. You know, there's hope, there's holiness, even, even community will be seen in discerning these themes. So it's very important as you, as you look through, what is the main idea here? What theme is being imposed on us and being taught to us that can be applied for us and for our lives? And this leads us to the last part of our Bible study guide, and quite possibly one of the most important, and that is yield to God. We started with a good translation. We took notice of the genre we understand and attempt to understand the context and discern the major themes, but the Bible is not meant just to be an academic exercise. How do we yield to God in this? So one thing to do is consider these three moves, and that is this. First off, the text. What's the text saying? If you can write a simple summary, and again, this is where taking notes can help. What does the text trying to say? then how does this apply to me? What's the Spirit saying to me? What lessons should I be learning right now? Who's God calling me to be? And what's God calling me to do? Or what's God calling me to change or to believe or to repent of or, or even a promise to embrace? And then lastly, remembering that we are a community of believers. And as a member of the body, as a member of the church, what are the communal principles and practices that God's spirit is calling me to do and embody to serve his people? How can I better embrace and support God's family? So as we yield to God, we got to remember that our relationship with God needs to be cultivated through spiritual discipline of prayer and Bible study and lived out in service to God and others. We do not just hear what Jesus said to do and try to do that. Rather, we also notice what he did, and we do that too. We also notice, for example, that he spent extended period of times in solitude and silence, and we entered solitude and silence with him. We note what a thorough student of the scriptures he was, and we follow him in that too, the living word, into the depths of God's written word. And we notice how he used worship and prayer and how he served those around him and so forth. So we don't just notice what he says. We see how he lived and we incorporate all of it into our lives because it's through prayer we talk to God. But it's through God's word that he talks to us. Obedience is the measure of love and evidence of faith. Love is action. Love changes behavior. We can and we must live holy, separate, apart, under God's will. And God's word tells us how. This is why we study. So the Bible study guide. Start with a good translation. Take notice of the genre. Understand the context. Discern the major themes yield to God. As we head into our breakout rooms, some questions to think about. What aspect from the study guide will help you deepen your Bible study? How and why? 
when was the last time you personally studied a book in the Bible? And what book was it? What did you learn from this? How did this book inspire you? How'd you go about doing that book study? Again, help your brothers and sisters. And then finally, choose two people to pray for God to reveal his will for us through First Peter. And then this week, my challenge to you is to read all of First Peter. And if you can, read it with other disciples. Read it out loud as it was meant to in the first century. Because I've no doubt God has a lot to say to you and I over the next several weeks. With that, church, I appreciate your time. And may God reward us richly. And as we transcend and dive into God's word through our Bible study. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Deeper Dive by the OC Church of Christ. If you want to get connected to us or want to donate to the program, go to our website, occhurchofchrist.com, or contact us through social media at the OC Church. Join us next time for our next Deeper Dive. I